As we were singing that last song, we are going to talk about Ruth today. <clears throat> and I was just thinking as we sang that last verse, and it says, The strength to follow your commands could never come from me. Oh, Father, use my ransom life in any way you choose. That goes so beautifully along with what we're going to be talking about today in the life of Ruth. Well, we're also going to talk about Orpah and Naomi as well. <clears throat> but anyways, with all that, let's start with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for your goodness and your kindness to us, Lord. I thank you that you go before us in all things. And even as we see today in, in the text that we'll be looking at, that you are a sovereign God and you're sovereign even over the difficult things in our lives. And Lord, we do want to continue to lift up Maddie and, and just ask that you would continue to heal her, that you would bring her back to normal health and to strength. And Lord, we are so incredibly grateful for preserving her life and that of little Finley as well. And um, just the testimony of your kindness and, and your power in the whole situation. Lord, we also want to lift up Mike Grayheck to you as he um, had another heart attack and is back in the hospital again. Lord, we pray that um, you would continue to protect him, that you would give doctors wisdom, and that he would possibly be able to come home today as well. And um, Father, as we dig into your word this morning, I pray that you would give us open hearts to your word, that you would convict us, encourage us, and give us new insights. In your name we pray, amen. So as we were looking at our chapter this week and reading through the attitudes of a godly heart, if you read the chapter, you will remember that Martha Peace talked about five I have five listed here, five aspects of what a godly heart looks like or the attitudes that flow out of a godly heart. And she has obedience, contentment, servant's heart, gratitude, and forbearance. And so as I got to thinking about which, I can't talk about all these things. You have to pick one and go with it. And so I thought, well, I wonder if we could possibly, hmm, let's see, what characters in scripture um, exemplify all of these in one person, and can we look at that? And as I pondered that, I realized there is a woman that we can look to and see that God set her apart, and how was that accomplished? What, what did that look like? And that is in the life of Ruth. So actually, um, as we begin to, by diving into that, I just wanted to keep in mind as we look at the character of Ruth and of Orpah and Naomi, that we are not looking at Ruth from your typical standpoint, the book of Ruth, as kinsman redeemer, at really even looking at God's loving kindness and mercy, which is all throughout. We'll see his sovereignty, but we're not going to see it in the typical way that you would study the book of Ruth. So I just want to lay that out there right away so that you understand where we're going. I'm not, I do understand the point of Ruth, but I do think there's a lot to be gleaned as we look at these three women as well. So really my goal is to help us look at our own hearts to evaluate whether or not we possess the attitude of a godly heart. So with all that being said, we're just going to jump right into scripture today. And if you don't mind to open your Bibles, we are going to read the entire first chapter. We'd read the whole book if we can, but we don't have that kind of time. So we're just going to read the first chapter of Ruth, which that alone is long. It's 22 verses. 
So chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man... Excuse me, a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem in Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. Then both Milan and Chilion also died, and the women were bereft of her. The woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the land of Moab, for she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. So she departed from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, but we will surely return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return, my daughters. Why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Return, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I said I have hope, if I should even have a husband tonight and also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Then she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So they both went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and with her Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned to the land of Moab, who returned, excuse me, from the land of Moab, important word there. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. So we're going to jump right on to your outline as well. And I'm going to give you a fairly extensive background because I think it's really important to understand what is behind the scenes, what really sets the stage so that we understand the character of these women. So our background, that's Roman numeral one, 
As we embark on our journey to discover the difference in these three women's attitudes, it seems important to mention this, that the author of the book of Ruth presents the facts without adding criticism to any of the characters in the narrative. So as I was doing so much study, and I've really been, this has kind of been going on in the back of my mind for a couple of weeks, uh, because I knew I was, when I was going to be teaching, and so even trying to pick out what I was going to do. So I have listened literally to hours and hours of sermons, read lots and lots of commentaries on this, trying to understand, because you have a lot of conflicting ideas going on among commentators. This is not helpful <laughs> when you're trying to figure out what's going on here. But the, the real issue is that people you that the commentators are using history from scripture and customs culture of Israelites to then form their opinion of whether the decisions that were made with Naomi, with Elimelech, and, and so forth, whether or not those things are right or wrong. And then even attributing motives. And I just felt like that's way out of my league. So I'm not going to go there. We're going to stick just to the text. And really, you guys can, can determine some of those things for yourself. But we will look at some of the history and some of the, the general laws and commandments that were given in Scripture. But as far as really assessing their own heart attitudes and motives, I think I'm going to stay clear of that. Now, obviously, we know that Naomi was bitter. She says that. <laughs> so I think we're pretty safe to go with that. And we also know bitterness is a sin. So I think that that's very clear. But as far as some of the rest of it, we're just going to try and stick really to the, the text this morning. So we will use principles in scripture to help us consider the wisdom or the lack thereof behind some of the decisions and events in the text. But generally, like I said, it's not my goal to evaluate or unearth the motives of each character. <clears throat> so, A, on your outline, capital A. Events occurred during the time of Judges. We're told right out at the beginning that the things that happened in the book of Ruth, those events took place during the time of the Judges. And if you remember anything about the Judges, so we have Joshua, when they went into the land, they conquered the land, and the people were commanded to kill all the Canaanites, which they did not do. And as a result, the people kept turning their hearts to idols. And so God set up judges then who would bring the, who would instruct the people and basically instruct them to turn their hearts back to God. So here's the overarching theme of the book of Judges. Judges 21, 25, in those days, there was no king in Israel. So this was before the monarchy had been set up in the nation. <clears throat> Excuse me. So it says there was no king in Israel. And then listen to this. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This is very, very important because the time of the judges was one of the darkest, bleakest times in the history of the Israelites. They were constantly going after idols. So then they ended up on this cycle of idolatry, and then God would bring judgment upon them in various different ways, and then they would repent, and then after they would repent, God would bring deliverance from whatever the judgment was that he had brought, and then they would rest, and then they would have rest maybe for a shorter or longer period of time, and then they would ultimately go straight back into that cycle, and over and over and over again, they did that. So this event, the event of Ruth, takes place during the time of the judges. So then B, famine indicates sin on the part of the Israelites. 
So we're going to look into the actual scripture to see how do we know this? Why, why would that even be the case? So I've got quite a few scriptures here that as we go, and some of them are a little bit more lengthy, but that's because I want you to hear from scripture what is going on. So <clears throat> when Moses was preparing the Israelites to heed in, to heed to heed, to head into the promised land after the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, he warned the Israelites to obey God, describing to them the benefits of obedience and then the consequences if they disobeyed. So in Deuteronomy 28, I'm going to start reading verse 1 and just kind of skip around verses down to 24. So it says this, now it shall be if you diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments, which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. The Lord will make you abound in prosperity in the offspring of your body and in the offspring of your beast in the produce and in the produce of your ground. The Lord will open for you his good storehouse, the heavens, to give rain in your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hand. So you can see the blessing if they obeyed. However, verse 15, but it shall come about if you do not obey the Lord your God, all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the offspring of your body and the produce of your ground. The Lord will make the rain of your land powder and dust from heaven. It shall come down on you until you are destroyed. So very evidently, the children of Israel were in a rebellious cycle within those cycles of judges. And God had brought famine on the land as a result. The fact that there was famine in the land of Israel reveals the judgment of God upon them for their disobedience. So then we have C. Who were the Moabites? Because they were going to the land of Moab. <clears throat> so to escape the famine, our text informs us that Elimelech and Naomi left Israel to find better living conditions in the land of Moab. Well, what was the history of the Moabites and where did they come from and who were they? So I'm going to try and give you a little bit of uh, background to that as well. And we're going to look at Genesis chapter 19, starting in verse 30. And here is the description of where the Moabites came from. And this is pretty self-explanatory. Lot, okay, remember who Lot is. Lot is Abraham's nephew. So, and he lived down by Sodom and Gomorrah because he chose the nice lush valley and then basically started to live among the wicked there. So Lot went up from Zor and stayed in the mountains. So this is after Sodom and Gomorrah have already been destroyed. And his wife, remember, she turned into a pillar of salt because she looked back at the city. So now it's only him and his two daughters that have gone up into the mountains. And stayed in the mountains and his two daughters with him, for he was afraid to stay in Zor. And he stayed in a cave, he and his two daughters. Then the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on the earth to come into us after the manner of the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and let us lie with him, that we may preserve our family through our father. Thus both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. 
The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. So the Moabites came about through the incestuous actions of Lot's daughter with their father Lot. And that is the beginning of their history. They, as a nation, as they continue to grow, they worship the god Shemosh and a despicable, wicked idol, essentially. But part of their worship to this idol was to sacrifice their children in the fire. Wickedness, absolute wickedness. The Moabites did not worship the one true God and were often throughout history an enemy of Israel. Because of their wickedness, prophets told of their coming judgment. So then when we look at Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, I think, I think Amos as well. We're only going to look at Isaiah and Jeremiah here. But they prophesied of the coming judgment upon the Moabites. So Isaiah said this in 1614. But now the Lord speaks saying, within three years, as a hired man would count them, the glory of Moab will be degraded along with all his great population. And his remnant will be very small and impotent. And then Jeremiah prophesied saying this. Jeremiah 48, 42, Moab will be destroyed from being a people because he has become arrogant toward the Lord. So that gives you a very, very brief synopsis of who the Moabites were. So this is significant that they would leave the promised land of Israel and that they would go into the land of Moab that's so wicked and idolatrous and so you can kind of draw your own conclusions there. Was that really the wisest decision to make that move? So then D, the danger or foolishness of settling in Moab. So obviously our text did not say one way or another. They just gave straight facts. But I'm giving you some history here so that you kind of understand why this is significant. So Israel's history with the Moabites was negative. In Numbers 22 through 24, we have the account of Balak, king of Moab. You guys remember this. This occurred when the Israelites were still wandering in the wilderness. Who, fearing the Israelites, hired the non-Israelite prophet Balaam to curse the Israelites. God prevented Balaam from accomplishing this task by causing him to bless the people every time he tried to curse them. Since Balaam was unable to curse the people, he suggested to Balak, the king of Moab, that the Moabite women go down into the Israelite camp to seduce the men into prostitution and worship of Baal. So this is just a little bit more of the history of Moab here. And remember, part of that story or that historical account was that Balaam was refusing to go and his donkey or the angel was going to meet him in the road and the donkey refused to go. And so Balaam is hitting his donkey and the donkey turned around and spoke to him. That's all part of the same account right here. So to seek refuge in Moab, so this is a quote from one of my commentators, to seek refuge in Moab, Israel's enemy throughout history was both shameful and dangerous. And this was Matthew Henry. If he could not be content with the short allowance, so talking of Elimelech here, and I thought he made a really good point. So he says, if he could not be content with the short allowance that his neighbors took 
up with, and in the day of famine could not be satisfied unless he kept as plentiful a table as he had done formerly, if he could not live in hope that there would come years of plenty again in due time, or could not with patience wait for those years, it was his fault, and he did by it dishonor God and the good land God had given them. Weaken the hands of his brethren, with whom he should have been willing to take his lot, and set an, an, and set an ill example to others. If everyone should do as he did, Canaan would be dispeopled. And then he says this, note, it is an evidence of, now he does go into a little bit of the motives of Elimelech's heart here. He said, it is an evidence of a discontented, distrustful, unstable spirit to be, to be weary of the place in which God hath set us and to be for leaving it immediately whenever we meet with any uneasiness or inconvenience in it. And I thought the application that he's drawing out there is very applicable to us. Are we willing, and really essentially, I mean, that's kind of where we're going here, but are we willing to walk through the difficulties that the Lord brings into our lives with grace, with faith, with trust in the fact that God is doing us good in the midst of those things? Or is it our first response to try and escape those things? I think that's good for us to ponder. So then moving on to E, instruction regarding taken, taking foreign wives. So then again, we're looking at the history here. What? Because remember that Naomi's two sons took Moabite women as their wives. So in Deuteronomy 7, 3, and 4, it says this. Furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them. And it's not talking about the Moabites specifically, but, but foreign women. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor shall you take their daughters for your sons. For they will... Turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and he will quickly destroy you. And even as we know, all of the, the destruction that eventually came upon the Israelites was due to the fact that they kept turning their hearts to idols over and over again instead of worshiping the one true God. It is evident from these five historical facts that heeding the wisdom of Scripture was absent in this family's decision to sojourn in the land of Moab. Now, again, we can't know their motives, but if they knew Scripture, they would be walking on pretty thin ice to make this decision. There was many reasons why it would have been prudent to trust God to provide for them in Israel, but this was not what Elimelech chose for his family. Some commentators argue that the difficulties that they experienced when they were in Moab was a result of God's judgment on them for leaving Israel. But obviously our text does not say that, so we will simply take the text at face value. Was that God's judgment? Was it not? We don't know. This. The text doesn't say. Regardless of whether it was God's judgment or not, the event still occurred. And Naomi still found herself in Moab bereft of husband and sons. So then we move, we're kind of moving quickly today on our little outline here, but got a lot to cover. So Roman numeral two, the dark difficulties. The narrator wastes no time in introducing the difficulty Naomi is facing. Verse three explains, it says this, then Elimelech, 
Naomi's husband died, and she was left with her two sons. We are not told why or how Elimelech died. We just simply know he died. Some commentators believe that it was God's judgment on him for traveling to Moab. While others disagree and believe it was just part of the ebb and flow of life's challenges. Either way, Naomi is left without a husband. This alone is a tragedy. But in ancient times, it was even more of a difficulty because women could not provide for themselves and required a husband to keep them from abject poverty. So not only is she grieving the relationship, the companionship of her husband, the love that they shared, but she is also grieving the fact that without a husband, how in the world will she provide for herself? However, fortunately, the Lord had blessed her with two sons, whose duty it became to care for her at the passing of their father. This would have been a great comfort to Naomi because she would not ultimately be left without provision or protection. Her sons could marry and care for her, which as we see, they did. So then verse 4 tells us, they took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. And they lived there about 10 years. So the text does not tell us why Naomi allowed her sons to marry Moabite women. As we saw earlier, it was strictly forbidden in the Israelite law. So there is the possibility, and actually one guy that I was listening to listened to several of his sermons, he made the whole case for the fact that both Orpah and Ruth would have become proselytes to the Jewish faith. And so that is why this would all have been okay. That is one possibility. It is also the possibility that perhaps they just compromised. They were living in the land of Moab and now without a husband to provide for them, uh, it, is, it makes sense for these men to get married. And so just out of convenience and compromise, they, they marry these Moabite women. We don't know. So they argue that since Naomi and her sons were living in Moab, they comp so this is uh, other commentators, they compromised by assimilating into the culture in which they lived. So ultimately, like I said, it's, it's hard to know. And then verse 5 says this, Then both Milan and Chilion also died, and the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. So now, not only has she lost her husband, but now she has not just lost one son, she has lost both sons. She is in a foreign land with no provision, no protection, and only two daughter-in-laws. In the space of half a verse, Naomi's whole world came crashing down around her and left her entirely alone. She was a stranger in a strange land, an aging single woman of no significance in a family-oriented culture with no one to care for or about her. She could not support herself by some trade because she had none. And besides, women simply did not do that in those days. Yet worse, she is an aged woman without children, the worst fate for an Israelite woman. Further, she faces her declining years with no children to care for her and no grandchildren to, spirit, to cheer her spirits. So with all of these factors in mind, Naomi opts to move back 
to Israel. So then, Roman numeral three on your outline, the decision to travel home. And that's where we find ourselves in the text this morning. Naomi heard that the famine in Israel was over, so she decided to return to her homeland. So verse six says, I'll read verses six and seven. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the land of Moab. For she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. So she departed from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. So we don't know how far Orpah and Ruth traveled with Naomi on this journey before Naomi decided to send them back to their, their home. But there are some interesting things that I really want to pay attention to as you see here, their um, interaction with each other, their relationship together. It seems evident that Naomi and her daughters-in-law experienced a close relationship Neither Orpah nor Ruth had any obligation to accompany her back to Israel, and yet that is precisely what they were planning to do. They had already joined her on the journey. Though they could have chosen to go back to their parents' homes after their husband's death, they stayed with Naomi, which is really very unique. And most certainly, they could have chosen to stay in Moab rather than traveling to Israel. This seems to indicate there was a sweet relationship between the women in general. And this is one of the arguments that the one commentator was saying about why he believes that these women would possibly have become proselytes to the, uh, the Israelite God because they are both so willing to go along with Naomi. Again, like I said, we don't know. Additionally, there is tremendous grief at the thought of being separated from one another. When Naomi decides it would be better for the two women women to turn back to their homeland, she says to them, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. May the Lord give you another husband is essentially what she was saying. Obviously, her daughters-in-law had been good to Naomi because she states that they have been good to her. We can surmise that Naomi had been good to them as well because of the affection that seems genuine between the three of them. And then the text says, then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. They were genuinely sorry to think about being separated from Naomi. Clearly, they loved her. With all this background laid, we can turn to the purpose of our lesson today. We can begin to consider the character of each of these women. So notice that at the conversa- as the conversation, so we're going to look more at the conversation here in chapter 1 that we already read, we get a glimpse into the difference of each woman's heart. So reading in verse, I'm going to read verses 10 through 15 of chapter 1 just to remind us of of where we're going here, says this. And they said to her, No, but we will surely return with you to your people. 
But Naomi said, return, my daughters. Why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that, you, that may be your husbands? Return, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I said I have hope, if I should even have a husband tonight and also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Then she said, Behold, so this is Naomi, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. So that's kind of a really long background to help us understand what's going on with these three women as we look at their character and really evaluate. Okay, so if we're seeking to identify what it is that reflects the attitudes of a godly heart, then which one of these, I mean, we already know the answer, but which one of these women exemplify that? So let's just break them down a little bit and look at it. So number four, Roman numeral four, character comparisons. So the first person we will evaluate in the portrait of the three women is Orpah. So A is Orpah. It would seem that Orpah was a devoted and loving daughter-in-law. Keep in mind that she was under no obligation, as I mentioned earlier, to accompany Naomi to Israel. But she chooses to go anyway. Why? We don't know. Possibly just because they do have a close relationship and she does care, realizing that Naomi doesn't have anyone to care for her. So who knows why, but she decides to go. Initially, she resists even the thought of abandoning Naomi to return to her people. She adamantly argues that she will follow Naomi to her homeland. But eventually, as Naomi continues to press, then Orpah succumbs to Naomi's suggestion and turns and goes back to her home. So why would she choose to go back rather than continue with Naomi? So keep in mind that what, that what, excuse me, keep in mind what that would cost her to continue in her pursuit of going to Israel. So think about all that she would be leaving if she continued on the, on traveling with Naomi. She would be leaving her family. She would be leaving her friends. She would be leaving her homeland, her culture, the possibility of a future husband, everything that was familiar to her, and she would be leaving her gods, her religion, all that was familiar to her even in that aspect. And what would she gain? So that's all the things she would lose. What would she gain if she continued on this journey? She would gain strangers who possibly wouldn't accept her because she was a Moabitess. She would gain unfamiliar surroundings that she would have to figure out how to fit into. She would gain no guarantee of a home because they were only three very poor widows. How would they provide for themselves? So she's leaving a home to go someplace where she has no idea if she even have a home. She would be gaining a culture that she didn't understand, which would probably cause plenty of difficulties. 
She would be gaining the inability to find a husband, most likely, because what Israelite would want a Moabitess as a wife, particularly if they adhered to the, the law, and she would be gaining a God she didn't know. So looking at all that she would lose and really all the what-ifs, uncertainty of what she would gain, it didn't make any sense really on a practical level for her to continue on to go with Naomi. Why would she make such a choice? From a temporal perspective, there would be nothing to benefit her if she continued with Naomi. Thus, Naomi's encouragement to return to her her people and her gods appealed to Orpah and made the most sense in light of her situation. So number one, Orpah makes the expected decision. And this is from one of my commentators. He says this, With that simple, sensible choice, she marched off out of the pages of the Bible. She went back to her people and back to her gods. Yet though she certainly didn't see it that way, there was nonetheless a cost to her logical choice. Who now remembers Orpah? She rejected the road to emptiness, but at the same time unknowingly turned aside from the one road that could have led her to a life of lasting significance and meaning. The world's wise choice to avoid emptiness to a different kind of oblivion. So number two, Orpah was not a believer in the one true God. And ultimately, that is the reason why she doesn't go with Naomi. Sadly, Orpah's decision reveals her true heart condition. The God of the Bible is not her God. Though she is kind, loyal, and a loving friend and daughter-in-law, that is not enough to persuade her to make such a significant lifelong sacrifice. Orpah's ability to sustain the attitudes of a godly heart were limited at best. And at the end of the day, she would ultimately choose what was best for her. And as we know from our reading this week, that does not demonstrate the attitudes of a godly heart to ultimately choose your own good above that of others. So that is Orpah. Now we look at the character of Naomi. So that is B on your outline. Right from the outset of the narrative, we discover that Naomi is a believer in the one true God. Obviously, she's an Israelite. But that doesn't guarantee that she is a believer because keep in mind, she lived during the time of the judges where they did what? They did what was right in their own eyes. So that doesn't guarantee that she is a believer just because she's an Israelite. However, two statements help to reveal her understanding. Actually, there's more than that, but we're just going to look at two statements that reveal her understanding of who God is and her belief in him. So number one, Naomi is a believer in God. So verse 6 that we already read says, She had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. Naomi clearly views God as the orchestrator of events and the provider of their needs. She sees God as sovereign and believes in him as the sovereign God. And then in verse 13, 
It says this, it is harder for me than for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. In verse 13, we see her interpretation of God's sovereignty in her life. She realizes and acknowledges that God is sovereign, but she has failed to see his goodness in his sovereignty. She realizes that God is the one that is orchestrating all the events of her life. She knows that's true. And if you look down to the very end of the chapter, you can see that again in the verses at the end. She knows that God is sovereignly working out his will. But the problem is, is she doesn't like it. And she is resisting it and bitter against it. So number two, she believes God is against her. So before we are too hard on Naomi, we need to remind ourselves again of all that she's lost. And I mentioned that earlier, but I'm going to remind you just briefly here. Because if you guys remember when Rachel was teaching on Job, and she reminded us that Job walked through difficult trials we have never walked through. And there is a place of struggle there. And I think lest we be too hard on Naomi, lest we think we're above her in any way, we need to be reminded of the suffering that this woman has experienced. Her temporal earthly life is in shambles. She has nothing left. She who possessed a husband and children, and not just any children, two boys who would be able to care for her in her old age, is now without anyone. And remember what her name means? Pleasant, lovely. That's who she was when she went to Moab. And now she's saying, I am Mara. I am bitter. There's no loveliness or pleasantness left in me. Not only does she grieve the passing of her loved ones, but she is also totally destitute. She has no present hope and certain, and certainly no future hope that her circumstances will change. She is left alone in a foreign land where she ultimately doesn't belong and where her prospects for the future are extremely bleak. Naomi is in a very, very difficult place. To lose so much can only indicate one thing in her mind. It means that God is against her. That's the only way she can understand and process her circumstances. It must be that God is against me. She cannot see his goodness nor his mercy in her circumstances. All she sees is the utter devastation of her life and attributes it entirely to God's doing. Her theology was good, was it not? God is sovereignly orchestrating the events in our lives. But, like I said, she is dismissing God's goodness. She is forgetting that God's ways are above our ways. That passage had not been written in Scripture yet. God is working in all these events to bring about a much more glorious outcome than what we can see. And one of the commentators I was reading, he said, God is working through generations, through centuries to bring about his sovereign plan. And keep in mind who Naomi becomes. Well, I guess it's not actually because she's not actually the bloodline, but Ruth, her daughter-in-law, becomes the grandmother of King David. 
This is a very important aspect in the history of Israel and in the history of the world because who came forth from the line of David? Our Savior Jesus Christ. So all of this, this one little person God is using, even whether they were right or wrong to go to Moab, God is still using all of that. And that's really, if we look at all of the book of Ruth, to see the loving kindness, the hesed of God, the mercy of God as he orchestrates these events to sinful, broken, untrusting, even foreign women from idolatrous nations that God is redeeming. Beautiful. But Naomi didn't know all of that and lost sight of the things that she could have and should have known. She cannot see God's goodness or his mercy in her circumstances. All she sees is the utter devastation of her life and attributes it entirely to God's doing. Rather than surrendering to his will, seeking to honor him despite her heartaches, she blames God, turning instead to bitterness. So number three, she's bitter with her circumstances. Naomi's assessment that God is against, against her then turns to bitterness. She describes herself as such when she returns to Bethlehem. So in verse 20, she said to the women who came out to greet her upon her return, she said this, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? God is sovereign. He could have changed the circumstances. He could have prevented her from losing everything. Rather than seeing the pain and loss that Ruth had experienced and seeking to serve Ruth with a servant's heart, Remember, that was one of our... So I'm, I'm kind of going to reference some of those little attitudes that we read about this week intentionally. So she could have considered the heartache that Ruth was experiencing and sought to serve Ruth with a servant's heart. But instead, she focuses only on herself and what she's lost. Instead of cultivating a heart of gratitude for what God had done in bringing her home and in providing Ruth as her companion, she focused only on what she had lost and blamed God for it. Rather than striving for contentment, seeking God's will in her very difficult circumstances, she became inwardly focused, turning to self-pity and looking for someone to blame for her misery. So John Street, who is a professor at Master Seminary in the uh, counseling department, described her like this, and I thought it might be helpful as we consider application here. He says, I'm sure that if Naomi were living today, most Christians would have, been, would have labeled her with a pathology of disassociation or PTSD because of all that she had gone through and excused her attitudes because she was psychologically marred for life. There's the psychology world, girls. I'm sure that is the way contemporary thinkers would have viewed Naomi. They would encourage her to sink deeper into her depressant self-pity, withdrawing from life and everyone around her. 
And then he goes on and he says this, biblically, you will begin to understand that it is not the terrible experiences of people that really traumatize them. Did you hear me? I'm going to read that again, just in case you didn't, because this is really important. Biblically, you will begin to understand that it is not the terrible experiences of people that really traumatize them. It is the meaning that they attach to those experiences. It's not the traumatic experiences. It's not the actual terrible events of the past that bring on the trauma, even as a child. It is when they begin to reflect on those events after a period of time and attach meaning to them that they really start to have what the world would call pathological problems. They begin to sink into the severe depression or withdraw in fear. What hurts most victims is not the bad experiences themselves, though they are hurtful, but it is the meaning of those experiences it's how victims make sense of what has happened. Very powerful way to interpret life. And we would do very well to agree with this and live according, well, not according to what he's saying, in the fact that we don't want to look at our circumstances and feel like they are determinative, but that's what the world will tell us, but they are not. We have to think rightly about them. This is why we talk so often about the put on, the put off, and renewing our minds and thinking biblically, because if we don't, we will end up in the exact same spot as Naomi. Naomi was a believer, but a bitter one. Though she acknowledged God was sovereign, she fought against his will in her life. From her perspective, she deserved better than what she had received. Because of her circumstance, because her circumstances had not turned out as she anticipated and desired, she responded sinfully. She blamed God for her dead family. She became self-focused. She lost all joy. She failed to give thanks. She essentially became a crotchety old woman which none of us want to become. Her circumstances determined her attitude, not her relationship with God. Clearly, in her sinful attitude, Naomi was incapable of practicing the attitudes of a godly heart. Her bitterness dominated her responses to life, and she focused only on herself. And this is a, a quote from another commentator. He says, though he takes us, God takes us through deep waters of pain and suffering and loss. And we should expect that he will, for that is his enduring pattern with his people. It is only so that he may break our fascination with our earthly mud pies. He wants to replace our deplorable desire to play with dirt with a deep longing for something much better, the true bread of heaven. It is deeply convicting that in Ruth, it is the former pagan who has more passion for Israel's God than has the child of the covenant who heard of his dealings with his people from her earliest days. Oh, ladies, must we guard our hearts to not become like Naomi. So then we look at Ruth. So that is C, capital C on your outline. We have in Ruth a stark contrast to Oprah, which is direct in our passage there, even though we're kind of taking a little bit out of order. 
Orpah leaves Naomi and heads back home. She makes the expected decision. The one from a worldly perspective that makes the most sense. Ruth, however, makes the unexpected decision. So number one, Ruth makes the unexpected decision. The text tells us she clung to Naomi. This is a strong word and carries the idea of sticking like glue. That's essentially what she is telling Naomi. She refused to go back home. Keep in mind she was leaving everything that Orpah was leaving. Family, friends, home, culture, familiarity, etc. But there was one major difference. Ruth was not leaving her God. Instead, she was pursuing her God. She had already forsaken the gods of Moab to turn to the living God, and she was exercising her faith in him by putting her life entirely into his hands. She did not count the cost of her losses. She only saw the opportunity to follow the one who had become her God, Yahweh, the God of the Israelites. So number two, Ruth's pledge to Naomi. So reading in verse 16 through 18, but Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me and worse if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was, when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said no more. Matthew Henry said this, she is very particular in her resolution to cleave to Naomi and never forsake her. She speaks the language of one resolved for God and heaven. She is so in love, not with her mother's beauty or riches or gaiety, All these were withered and gone, but with her wisdom and virtue and grace, which remained with her even in her present poor and melancholy condition. I love that quote. Do you know why? Because even in the midst of Naomi's sin, she was still a child of God and still set apart for his purposes and and Ruth knew that. And I'm sure the whole time that she knew Naomi, Naomi was not like this. And Naomi would have been the one to have taught her about the one true God. And Ruth loved her for it. And Ruth continued to love her even when Naomi had turned bitter. Naomi was all Ruth knew of Yahweh. It was Naomi who had taught her of Yahweh. It was Naomi who had shown her a different life in knowing God. Being from a foreign pagan nation who worshipped the false god Shemosh, if Naomi left, Ruth would be alone in her worship of God. Ruth loved Naomi because Naomi had shared her God with her. For Ruth, it would be better to lose all she had of her home and family than to lose the only connection she had to Yahweh. Thus, she pledges to go with Naomi, to stay with her, to adopt Naomi's people as her own, and to serve and worship Naomi's God. This is not a frivolous promise. Even in death, she will stay with Naomi and be buried with her. 
So number three, Ruth feared God. So what ultimately sets Ruth apart from Orpah is that she feared the one true God. In Ruth 3.11, which, you know, we don't have time to go into the whole thing of Boaz here, but just a quick reference to that. In Ruth 3.11, when Ruth makes the unlikely proposal to Boaz, this is how Boaz responds to her. And listen very carefully to this. Ruth 3.11, now my daughter, do not fear For I will do for you whatever you ask. Why? Why? For all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. Boaz calls her a woman of excellence. This is a reference to the excellent wife in Proverbs 31. So here's an interesting little tidbit fact for you. It is interesting to note that in the original order of the books of the Bible, Ruth came directly after Proverbs. And do you remember how Proverbs ends? With Proverbs 31, the description of the excellent wife. And then, boom, you go straight into Ruth, who is the portrait of this excellent wife. Ruth exemplified the characteristics of the excellent wife, and it was noticed by those who observed her. She had not been in Israel that long at this point, and yet this is how everyone knew her, even so much that Boaz then says, yes, I will redeem you because I know your character, and this is how everyone speaks of you. What was it that set her apart and enabled her to be a woman of excellence? It was ultimately her fear of the one true God, her fear of Yahweh. And remember, this is the last couple of verses of Proverbs 31, and it says this. So uh, 29 and 30, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. This was the character of Ruth. She feared the Lord. And that is what enabled her to live out. We don't have time to look at Proverbs 31. But if you want to go home later today, you can read through it. But the fact that she feared the Lord was the thing that enabled her to live out the characteristics listed in Proverbs 31. And that is the only thing that will enable us to exemplify the attitudes of a godly heart. Though she was a foreign woman in a foreign land who worship, whose worship consisted of idolatry, Ruth had forsaken it all to fear God and commit her life to him. It is this commitment to God that set her apart as an excellent woman, one to whom Boaz was willing to redeem by becoming the kinsman redeemer. In contrast to Orpah, who possessed no true fear of God, and in contrast to Naomi, whose fear of God was suppressed by her own sinful responses to life, Ruth the foreigner, the Moabitess, exemplified the attitude of a godly heart. So we're just going to very quickly look at those characteristics, just little comments under each one of them. And I am going to start with humility because I think that is really important. If you were here last week, Rachel spoke about that. So A is humility. 
Ruth made herself useful to the purposes of God by first fearing God and then following him regardless of the cost to herself. Her humility enabled her to participate in whatever was necessary to obey God and love and serve Naomi. She did not view herself as being above difficult circumstances and in fact positioned herself with the lowly, the poor, the destitute of a foreign land to her. Israel was a foreign land to her. Willingly working to gather the grain left behind by the reapers. This was the heart of Ruth, a humble heart. And B, she had a heart of gratitude. Though gratitude is not explicitly stated, Ruth's whole demeanor exemplifies gratitude to Naomi. Her loyal pledge to Naomi is born out of gratitude for all that Naomi had done for her. She did not see herself as deserving more than what she had been given. Rather, she saw the many blessings that she had received and ultimately gratitude for the fact that Naomi had taught her about Yahweh. C, she had an attitude of contentment. So this resulted in a heart that was content, content to leave all that was familiar and safe and secure, content to travel with Naomi as her companion and helper, content to work in the fields to provide for them. Ruth had no comprehension or idea that the Lord had Boaz waiting for her, but she was striving to love and serve Naomi in contentment, not with a proud attitude of, I, should, I deserve more than this. If she would have had that attitude, she would have stayed in Moab. And then D is obedience. Her fear of God motivated obedience to Naomi's suggestion of Ruth's proposal to Boaz. A text doesn't tell us what Ruth's thoughts were. Now, in our Western American culture, we go, whoa, that's so weird. But maybe it wasn't as weird to them. Either way, she says that she will follow exactly what Naomi had told her to do. She could have recoiled from the idea, but she humbly agrees to do all that Naomi instructs her to do. And then E is forbearance, or that word can also be uh, defined as tolerance. In the condition that Naomi was in, filled with bitterness over the hardships she faced, I imagine she was not always an easy woman to love. But that is exactly what we see Ruth doing. She loved Naomi and willingly sacrificed for her, tolerating her sinful attitude with gentle kindness and service. And then F, an attitude of a servant's heart. Perhaps what reveals Ruth's fear in God more than anything else is her servant's heart. And that's what, what made the people around her recognize her, her heart and her character. She gives her life entirely to Naomi in service to her. Not only does she promise to do this as they leave the land of Moab, but she lives it entirely when she arrives in Israel, even asking to glean in the fields. Like Ruth, if we desire to exemplify the attitude of a godly heart, it must begin with the fear of God. He must be what is most important to us. He must be who we love more than anyone else. Our love, worship, and devotion to him must far surpass all that we might lose in this world. Only then will we truly display these same characteristics. 
Who is it, so asking you guys to consider, who is it that you most closely relate to in this narrative? Is it Orpah, who, though initially tender, compassionate, and loving, didn't truly possess the fear of God leading to lasting attitudes of a godly heart? Is it Naomi, who through a true who, though a true believer in God, was so overwrought by her circumstances that she responded in bitterness, unable to exemplify the attitude of a godly heart? Or is it Ruth, whose fear of God led to selfless sacrifice and the true demonstration of the attitudes of a godly heart? Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for your beautiful and wonderful word that is so rich and deep, we can never, ever reach uh, to the depths of, of what there is for us. And yet, Lord, you continue to open our eyes, to give us understanding. Lord, might your word change our hearts. Might we, in humble obedience, be willing to give of our lives, to have an attitude that does reflect a godly heart, that we might be set apart unto you for your purposes. Thank you for each woman who's here this morning, and I just pray that you would help our times and our small groups to be, um, to be a blessing to one another, to encourage one another, to love one another. In your name we pray, amen. You are dismissed to your small groups. <laughs>